0: We do a children's sermon, and that's good because we should all be childlike at heart. That's one of the lessons from today's gospel. So, today we're going to talk a little bit about heroes, and people are heroic and even superheroes. And I'd like to know from the kids who is your age wore a cape, was a big, and he flew through the air. And I thought that was most amazing. I had fantasies of doing too great a height, although I did have a tea towel tied around my neck. So I was trying to do my best. Then there was this upstart named Batman, who really didn't have that many superpowers, but he was always on the side of good, just like Superman was. And he had a cap that gave him bat-like ears, and a young protege named Robin, who never seemed to grow up. And Batman drove a really great car. That was the amazing thing about Batman. So, from the kids at home, or from any of you today, do you have other superheroes that you grew up with? And why were they superheroes to you? There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Lois. Wonder Woman. How about at home? The kids have any superheroes? Because there are a lot of heroes now. My mommy. My mommy's my hero. You're pointing, but I can't hear. My mommy's my my hero. I'm sorry. My mommy's my hero. Okay. Okay. Forgive me. I can't hear, but thanks for participating. Anyway, (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Superman, Wonder Woman. Any others? Your, Spider-Man was something things. of an upstart when I was young. That was a new character. So, Mom. Mighty Mouse. That, that, does, <laughs> that betrays our vintage, doesn't it? Oh, yes, yes it day, does. Saturday morning cartoons, which were just a wonderful thing in black and white. And uh, Mighty Mouse had a lovely singing voice, by the way, as I recall. So, yes, these are all superheroes. And today we're going to talk a little bit about heroes. And being heroes was a thing all these with shows. Wonder Woman or Superman or Mighty Mouse. They were always helping out people who needed it, and that made them super heroes. They had superpowers, but the heroic part was that they were always actually serving and helping. And so the lesson from today's gospel has Jesus talking about an unusual way to be heroes. So we can think about our superheroes and the good that they do, and we can think about ourselves and the good that we can do, too, as we go through the day and through the week. So let us pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the heroes of every age who have walked in your ways and followed your call, serving with loving kindness where charity and love are. So bless us now with a sense of your presence. Divine Instructor, gracious Lord, be thou forever near. Teach us to love thy sacred word and view our Savior there. A great deal has happened in Mark's gospel since last Sunday's lesson, which seems like it was a long time ago, by the way. But little things like the Transfiguration, for example, have happened between last Sunday's lesson and this Sunday. So our lesson begins this Sunday with letting us know that Jesus and the disciples went on from there. Well, where was that? Where were they going on from? Probably up north? Since in the lesson from last Sunday, remember Jesus and the disciples were up near the source of the Jordan River towards Mount Hermon, probably what is very close to the border for present-day Lebanon, way up north. So the group goes on from there, going south around the upper shore of the Sea of Galilee towards Capernaum, the hometown of Simon and Teter. And on the way there, Jesus is teaching the disciples. Remember, it's a long walk. It's probably a good 25, 30 miles at least. So Jesus is teaching the disciples. And in today's lesson, there is no crowd that seems to be hanging around. Jesus was teaching his disciples rather secretly, and he didn't want anyone to know it because he was telling them the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands and they will kill him, and after three days, he will rise again. That's quite a teaching, isn't it? But Mark says the disciples didn't understand. Actually, in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples never understand. Not only do they not understand, they were afraid to ask. Why was that? Maybe because they might hear something that's too frightening? Maybe they didn't want to understand. Maybe they were afraid of the possible answers to their questions. Remember, Jesus has previously mentioned taking up your cross. And for those folks, that wasn't a figure of speech. That was a visual and historical reality. In any case, there's evidence the disciples weren't listening because when the walk is done, they get to the house. What house? Well, it's in Capernaum, and maybe it's the home of Simon Peter, which is today a site of a lot of archaeological work, and there seems to be some credible evidence that that could have been Simon Peter's home. And Jesus sets up the disciples with a question, did you catch it? It's kind of like when mom used to say to us, did you make your bed, when she knew we hadn't. So Jesus sets up the disciples, knowing full well what was going on, and Jesus asks, What were you arguing about on the way? Not even were you arguing. What were you arguing about on the way? And the disciples know they've been busted. They're silent. They weren't listening. They were arguing. And in fact, they were arguing about who was the hero, who was the greatest, whatever that means. Obviously, they didn't have denying themselves in mind, did they? What amazing self-absorption on the part of the disciples. Jesus is talking about suffering, death, and resurrection, and the disciples are oblivious. This is sort of like, my analogy is, this is sort of like if I were to get together with a group of friends, and when we were gathered together, I said to them, well, I need you to know that I'm going in for a biopsy Friday afternoon. And one of my friends said, oh, oh, Does that mean we're not going out for pizza? What amazing self-absorption. Jesus says death and resurrection, and the disciples are preoccupied with their status. So Jesus sits down, and this is an important detail that Mark gives us because remember, when you read in the synagogue, you stand up, and then when you're ready to teach, you sit down. And so Jesus sits down in the house which is a signal to the disciples that class is about to begin. And Jesus says, Guys, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And the word that is used for servant is where we get our word for deacon, as in the ordained ministry of word and service. Then, by way of compelling illustration, Jesus takes a little child, And the word for little child is even in a diminutive form. So maybe this little one is actually almost more of a toddler, an itsy-bitsy. And by the way, where does this kid come from anyway? If this is the home of Simon Peter, is it Simon Peter's grandchild? Is it a nephew? Is it a niece? We don't know. Someone who writes historical fiction should really pick up on this story and write the fictional biography of the little child who is picked up by Jesus and held in his arms think about it Jesus takes this little kid this toddler up into his arms and says when you welcome such a child in my name you welcome me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one one with a capital O the one who sent me and the word that is translated as welcome is often translated as receive and it can be translated with a number of similar words. And that, to me, reminds us that welcoming can be a complex act. It's not always as simple to welcome and receive as we would like to think. And then Mark, as Mark always does, abruptly ends the vignette and then subsequently assembles a variety of teachings together in the following material, which we'll be hearing over the next Sunday's, These are teachings that we conjecture were perhaps circulating as collections of anecdotes and stories from the very earliest times of the church, and Mark just patches them all together. Today's gospel, in fact, is sometimes seen as Mark's introduction to a series of teachings, its staff development, which Jesus was intent on giving to the disciples on this fateful journey that's going to end up in Jerusalem. So, taking into account today's lesson quite literally, I would like for us to consider just briefly what does it mean when we are welcoming or receiving little ones, children, young people? How are we doing as a congregation and as a church body? For one thing, very pragmatically, welcoming children involves giving them priority in their development bringing them to the baptismal font, teaching them the Ten Commandments, the creed, and the Lord's Prayer, as we promise to do in baptism. Having individuals in the congregation who serve as mentors, who make a point of greeting the kids, asking them how they're doing, and who make frequent other contacts and keep those kids in their prayers and let the kids know that. Quite concretely, sometimes receiving little kids means relaxing and breathing through when the little kids are noisy and fussy, which I'm convinced actually should be a part of the liturgy. We ought to have a point where it's like, all right, now, little ones, fuss, so we can all hear and enjoy it. I think of an event years ago when I was associated with a large congregation in Phoenix. The pastor was Richard Hamlin, who was a magnificent preacher and a magnificent spirit who obviously had his own disciplined practices For spending time in holy spaces and it showed in his sermons and it showed in his face. One Sunday when I was present there, there was a baptism and the little baby who had a beautiful baptismal garment was not amused by the whole procedure. In fact, he screened his head off the entire process and the dad was actually beginning to get a little red faced break a sweat, he was wearing a suit and of course this was Phoenix. And the mom looked a little bit pale, like, oh, can we speed this up and move it along? And, of course, the minute they headed back to the pew, everything was just fine. The baby was quiet. It was all good. So Pastor Hamlin, this is a true story. Pastor Hamlin took advantage of the silence and said, you know, folks, today we have Mr. and Mrs. Nordahl, let's say, visiting with us. They're sitting right over there. And when I met them coming into church, After driving 25 miles from their house in Sun City, they said, You know, Pastor, we just wanted to come to a church where maybe we could hear a baby cry. And Pastor Hamlin smiled to the congregation and said, And didn't we do a splendid job? And the congregation actually applauded, and the parents beamed, (laughs) and looked very, very relieved. In the counseling process, we call that reframing. Or something that's been a cause for embarrassment or humiliation becomes a cause for joy and thanksgiving. So can we give our children priority, mentor them, provide positive feedback for them, and in a broader sense, work and advocate tirelessly for children, all children, to have safety, basic safety and nutrition, basic adequate nutrition? Remember 25 or... 30 years ago when the administration wanted to include ketchup as a vegetable in school lunches. That's not what we're talking about. (coughs) Welcoming and receiving kids also means providing education, education for knowledge and facts, but also education in terms of getting along with others, delay of gratification, that's a big one for all of us, effective self-soothing, and all those wonderful things that Rabbi Kushner in his book said we were supposed to learn in kindergarten. When, in the collapse of education that occurred following the wake of the Reformation, many schools that had been affiliated with churches and monasteries shut down. So Martin Luther wrote to all the councilmen of, of Germany, it was an open letter, he wrote this impassioned plea supporting education and saying this, this is what Luther said, For it is a grave and important matter, and one of which is of vital importance both to Christ and the world at large, that we take steps to help the youth. By doing so, we will take steps also to help ourselves and everybody else. Ultimately, we have to know that welcoming and receiving children, little ones, children, young adults, adolescents, and ensuring their welfare is actually a form of enlightened self-interest, isn't it? It will come around to bless us. The gospel lesson, of course, today has to do not just with welcoming children, but I think with keeping perspective. Remember last Sunday's text about renouncing yourself, losing yourself in order to find yourself. So today's lesson, I think, is a call for humility. And there is some wonderful psychological research that I have to cite on that topic and a wonderful book that I have read called Heroic Humility. Remember our superheroes? Heroic Humility. And I believe the content of that book has some direct application to our understanding of today's lesson. The authors of that book, Heroic Humility, say that humility has three parts— Now, I'm doing a little lecture here, so don't check out on me, because it really has to do with the gospel. The first part of humility is having an accurate self-assessment. Not too high, not too low, but an accurate self-assessment that involves seeing oneself as a limited agent with a teachable attitude. And you know what? In my experience, the older we get... And the longer we've spent in school and the more degrees we have, the harder it is to teach us something. I think maybe that's a whole other sermon. The second aspect of humility is a modest self-presentation. Not too high, not too low. No arrogance, no obsequiousness. And finally, and this is the big one that I think really ties to what Jesus was saying, finally, humility means holding an abiding attitude towards benefiting others, holding an abiding attitude towards benefiting others, exerting power under control used to build others up, not to tear them down, not to exploit them, not to establish one's own superiority by debasing of the other. Humility in three parts, that kind of humility, that kind of perspective, research shows us is associated with healthy relationships and relationship accommodations. In other words, my ability to put my holy agenda and my sacred to-do list on hold in order to attend to someone else. That kind of humility is also associated, research shows, with pro-relationship activities like forgiveness, self-sacrifice, and gratitude. Does that sound like the heart of a servant? The authors of this book conclude by saying, overall, humility is centered on the social aspects of community. It would be lovely to sit with that sentence for just about 10 minutes, actually. Humility is centered on the social aspects of community. I would lift up for us today that humility being a servant, a deacon, I would suggest that humility also starts with deep listening, showing up for each other and slowing down. Deep listening, which is for me and for many of us an acute challenge in the context of our pressing, never-ending to-do lists. Deep listening is part of building a life in which we are all ears, as one author put it, and I love that so much. All ears, not out of toxic curiosity, but out of compassion. And yes, deep listening involves the ability to fall silent, even as we urgently desire to explain ourselves, our position, or our distress. Renee Brown and Harriet Lerner, two of the really wise women doing research and writing right now, have said, I love this quote, if only we would listen with the same intensity with which we desire to be heard. In writing about life together in the book of the same name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the first service one owes to others in the community involves listening to them. Just as our love for God begins with listening to God's word, the beginning of love for others is learning to listen to them. God's love for us is shown not only by the fact that God gives us God's word, but also God lends us God's ear. We do God's work for our brothers and sisters when we listen to them. Bonhoeffer says, we do God's work for our brothers and sisters when we listen to them. So we could say, God's work, our ears. Jesus called the twelve and said to them, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and a servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking the child in his arms, Jesus said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Thanks be to God.